Yeah. Three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Say what? Hey. Three C's, my fiance. Yeah. Hey. It's going down. Whoa. Hey. Y'all know what Whoa. time it is. Hey. We ain't playing with you. Hey. In the club. Hey. In the street. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to No BS, Season 3, Episode 2. Me and Isaiah are on here tonight, but before we get started, I seem like our YouTube link for tonight's show is having some technical difficulties, so after tonight's show, I will make sure I definitely upload this up to our YouTube channel so those people can, you know, catch it and watch it, because I've when I was fixing the StreamYard link, I didn't, I didn't know if it would capture our YouTube special, and I ended up deleting a double copy, which eliminated this one. So it seems that we're having some technical difficulties on that, but it's the MI6 Sports Network. It wouldn't be without technical difficulties. So let's see what ends up happening and as we progress through tonight's show. But Isaiah, how are you doing tonight? Trevor, I am doing good. Happy Aloha Friday to you, man. Um, you know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, you know, it's been a man, it's been a whirlwind of a week in the sports world. It's been a whirlwind in our world in general. So, man, it's great that it's finally Friday. It's great that the weekend is almost upon us and I am looking forward to tomorrow because yours truly will be making an appearance on another podcast uh, that will be uploaded, I believe, on Spotify. Um, you, I will give you guys the link of that podcast. I'll be doing an interview uh, on someone else's podcast, and I'll give you guys the link of it, and um, you guys can check that out. But I'll be on a podcast another podcast tomorrow for an interview very excited for that to share my experiences you know um being in the sports media industry the last eight nine months and also just you know my experiences uh working in sports in general so i'm very excited for that but we got a lot of stuff to talk about uh we've got some sad news to digest uh early on but you know we, let's get this show started trevor all right, all right. before before we get started, I got to mention to our lovely viewers that it's day eight without Callan. Give it up for day eight. So we're making it. We're going through, but we're going to make sure we have this lovely meme. And every time we're on the show, we'll definitely bring this up and keep track of the day. So the day that he comes back, you know, we'll have a little get together, a little party of the celebration when he when he returns. But let's go into our first topic tonight, Isaiah, in the world of MLB the great home run king, Hank Aaron, has passed away today. I know it's been tough in the baseball world with a lot going on, but he's definitely revolutionized the game of baseball. Like I said, he is the king of home runs. I know you brought up some stats of his, so you can go into your thoughts and you know, reckon, I guess, remembrance of him. Yeah, Trevor, um, first of all, I want to offer my condolences to his family, um, Hank Aaron lived a very long life and a very incredible life. Unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to watch him play because he retired some 
uh, 20 years ago before I was born. But I watched a lot of documentaries of this man on MLB Network. And also I did a PowerPoint presentation on him back when I was a young kid to know how great he really was and why he was such an iconic figure, not only in the baseball realm, but in the sports world in general. I mean, if you look at his life and how it started, you look at his upbringing and you know, to see what his career became of, uh, you would think of it as a remarkable story from having to hide in your own home back when you were a little kid in Mobile, Alabama, because the KKK was storming the town um, and to and then to leave town and leave your own home at the age of 19 to go and try to live your dream of becoming a professional baseball player. And at that time, only having two sandwiches in your pocket and then to go from that to being in the major leagues at a time when racism still loomed large in baseball and uh, managing to carve out one of the best careers of all time in the game of baseball, Hank Aaron hit, you know, a major league record, 755 home runs, 2,297 RBIs, 240 stolen bases. The man played at 24 all-star games in 21 seasons from 1955 to 1975. And ladies and gentlemen, he did all this while getting a lot of threats and a lot of hate mail. Um, uh, he told, I think it was Kate, Caitlin Collins uh, from the New York Times a couple of years ago that it was so bad for Hank Aaron that he had to duck and go out the back door of the ballparks and get a police escort every time he was, uh, you know, leaving uh, the ballpark after a game. That's how bad uh, he like that's how bad the treatment was for him. Uh, the man was a tremendous baseball player. And also he was a tremendous human being. You know, he did a lot for the game of baseball. Um, he did, also did a lot for the African-American community. He paved the way for African-Americans to play baseball now. And also he helped shine a lot a bit bright light on the racial injustice that was going on at that time uh, towards black people. Um, this man did a lot of stuff, not only for the game of baseball, for the, but for the African-American community. Um, you know, just a phenomenal person, phenomenal baseball player. And, uh, you know, his legacy will never be forgotten. And, you know, may he rest in peace. Yep. Well said, Isaiah. Well said. Thank you for sharing his, his stats. I'll read one comment from our viewers and Casey King says, says it the best. He sat about Hank Aaron and, and he said, yes, he's the king of home runs and my condolences go out to him and his family. He will be missed. And now let us move on to our next topic. We're in the world of the NBA and we were looking at the game recently that just happened last night where the Bucks and Lakers played each other. The final score is 113 to 106. A great game from start to finish. A lot of excitement early on in the NBA regular season. But Isaiah, what is your you know reactions to this thoughts of the early NBA season with the Bucks and Lakers? Well, Trevor, my reaction to this game is that LeBron James 
delivered when the Lakers needed him to deliver the most. This man, when the Lakers were teetering on the brink of losing this game and choking this game in the fourth quarter, this man said, nope, this is not happening on my watch. And he came out on fire after a timeout and started knocking down triples, starting imposing his will in the paint defensively, you know, blocking shots, altering shots. I mean, LeBron James was just phenomenal down the stretch. He finished the game with 34 points, eight assists, six rebounds in 38 minutes of play. Anthony Davis had an off night, 18 points, still managed uh, 18 points, nine rebounds, six assists in this basketball game. Uh, Marcus Gasol, he struggled once again with just three points. Points, uh, three rebounds and two assists, but it was the contributions of LeBron James down the stretch and Contavious Caldwell Pope, who finished this game with 23 points uh, and three rebounds and 27 minutes of play. But it was Caldwell Pope and LeBron James with clutch baskets after clutch baskets down the stretch when the Lakers needed that the most, when they were teetering on the brink of losing, that helped propel the Lakers to a victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. I got to give a lot of credit to the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Giannis uh, and the Bucks, they fought really hard in this game. But from the Bucks side of this game, the thing that I noticed the most about the Milwaukee Bucks is that, yes, they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who put up 25 points, 12 rebounds, three assists in a losing effort. They have Brooke Lopez, who put up 13 points, four rebounds, and 33 minutes of play. They have Chris Middleton, 20 points, seven assists, five rebounds. They have Drew Holiday, who they picked up in a trade this offseason, 22.7 assists, five rebounds. But they are still missing that one star. They're still missing that key piece to, uh, to go along with Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. What, what they have right now on the roster is not enough to be able to compete with the Lakers, uh, the Clippers, and I think even Brooklyn. I don't think the Bucks can beat Brooklyn with what they have right now on the roster um, you know, but, you know, give a big shout out, though, to LeBron James for coming through when the Lakers needed him to come through the most. Yeah, looking at some more of tonight's scores, well, not tonight's scores, but looking at the stats of that game, the Lakers had a phenomenal night from behind the arc. They shot over 50% from the three compared to the Bucks's 32%. Right there, I think that's more the telltale sign of how this game ended up playing out why they ended up winning by, you know, seven points in this in this game. But you also got to look at their field goal percentage where the Bucks were slightly higher by like 4%. So it's like, all right, they shot well from the field. Very respectable. But like they always say, free throws are the key to games. The Lakers shot 80% with the free throws while the Bucks shot 70% from the free throw line. So that really goes to show getting those free points are very crucial in those games. And you're only from like nine for 12 was the box in from, from the free throw line. And the Lakers were 12 for 15. The Lakers only missed three and the Bucks only missed three, but they got to the line more, got easy points where the Lakers didn't have to really contest that much where they got those extra additional points. So that really goes to show making your fouls count and getting a lot of shooting fouls so you can make easy baskets to increase your score in the long run. But it just feels like though their field goal percentages should have been like have the same number of differences. They both missed three. It's just that the Lakers had a higher percentage and that can go 
into the contribute contributing factor into this game. But you also got to look at the bench. Your bench got to at least put some double digits up there. I understand we're in the early season, but the Bucks' highest points from the bench was a total of four points. Like the highest total of any player that's ever gotten on that bench was four points compared to the Lakers. That the highest points by one player on the bench was 12. And that 12 made a difference. So if your bench doesn't contribute, it's going to hurt you. And that's what was shown tonight. And well, I guess not tonight during last night's performance. So the Bucks stopped up in the bench and those Rose players on the bench can, you know, get those extra chump change, extra chump points when the star players are out. I think this would be a different ball game. So any more final thoughts on this segment before we transition to our NFL segment? Yeah, um, you know, this might be a very uh, controversial take, but I mean, is anybody surprised at this point that I'm giving controversial takes? Because I always give controversial takes on this show and all of our programs on the MI6 Sports Network. But I think that Frank Vogel should swap out uh, Marcus Saul and put in Montrez Harrell in the starting lineup as the starting center. Because I think, I know the Saul, listen, the Saul is a great veteran. He's a guy that is um, a tremendous teammate. He's a guy that is a tremendous rebounder, a guy that can uh, defend the paint really well, and also a guy that is a great passer. But... Montrez Harrell, every time he comes in, he just brings a different type of energy, uh, more juice to what the Lakers have um, on the court. And I think that Montrez Harrell, being in the starting lineup, I think that he would be able to wreak havoc on the opposing team's front court as well as bring the energy the Lakers need to start the game. Plus, he can shoot from the outside, which is something that uh, Marcus Saul can't really do. So I think that, um, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Marcus Saul, but I just think with Anthony Davis's ability to shoot the three, with Anthony Davis's ability to post up, with his ability to drive into the paint and get what he wants, and you pair that with Montrez Harrell's energy, his uh, tenaciousness uh, in terms of getting rebounds and also Montrez Harrell's ability to shoot the mid-range game as well as shoot the three. I think those two would be a perfect combination in the front court. And I think Frank Vogel should really look into uh, that combination as opposed to having Gasol and Davis as your four, as your power forward and your center in the starting lineup. Yeah, yeah it's about take there. So I think the Lakers really can play around, like as Casey King says, that the Lakers are looking as like the best team again. He is very spot on. It's really hard when your team is like somewhat coming off of a championship run. It's like, what other tweaks can you make to your team and still have the same performance as last year or even better than having a cleaner postseason finish and maybe just sweeping every team that you play against? Because that's like the ideal goal in every NBA player's career where you can sweep the entire bracket and winning the NBA championship in four games and you don't have to play anything else. So like, I think that's the real goal, but you never know with a COVID season, what star players you're going to lose. So rotating the true stars on your team and getting the bench players involved, I think you're going to see a lot of key movements early on in the season, but who knows is going to stay healthy by that time in, you know, in the season. All right, but now let us move on to our NFL segment. I know we have playoffs are looming in the semifinal, you know, 
AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game, the excitement's in the air for it. And our first game that we're looking at tonight would be, you know, the Packers and the Bucks. This is a game that is just a clash of titans at this point with Tom Brady closing on that seventh Lombardi trophy if he's able to beat the Packers. But if not, Aaron Rodgers gets his second, you know, Super Bowl appearance. So you don't have anything, you know, too bad to say about these two quarterbacks. But I know the real question is which quarterback is underneath the most pressure. I'm going to say that Tom Brady is not underneath any type of pressure. I think he has proven to all the haysayers and the naysayers that he can't get to the postseason without Bill Belichick. Look at him now. He's at the NFC Championship game, about to get his seventh Super Bowl if he takes down Aaron Rodgers. And if he beats, let's say, Patrick Mahomes or um, the Buffalo Bills in the you know Super Bowl, his career is done. It's like he got his seventh ring, and I believe the Super Bowl is in Tampa Bay. So it's like it's a win-all, be-all, and he's like the first and only probably quarterback to ever do something like that where you can win in your home city as a team, I guess, in the most recent era in the last you know two decades. So it's definitely going to be something interesting, but I don't hear Isaiah, who's underneath the most pressure, and I'll get to my pressure take in a little bit after Isaiah goes. The quarterback under the most pressure is that bad man. Aaron Rodgers is under the most pressure out of those two quarterbacks that are playing in the NFC Championship game. You talk about Aaron Rodgers' record uh, when it comes to NFC Championships. He is 1-3, and 1-3 three, and three in four NFC Championships appearance. I think he uh, appeared – back in 2010 against the Chicago Bears. But ever since then, he's lost three in a row. He's lost all three that he's appeared in ever since the 2010 appearance. If he loses again, people are going to be like, Aaron Rodgers, he's a great regular season quarterback, but he just can't get it done in the postseason. That's why Aaron Rodgers has to prove those haters wrong. He's got to go out there on Sunday and put up a great performance and win this game because if you go one and four in the NFC Championships, that is not a good thing to be proud of. And Tom Brady, I don't think is under any pressure whatsoever because Tampa Bay season right now is already considered a major success. You know, they put together this team with Brady, with Gronkowski, with Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, uh, Leonard Fournette, and all those major big names that they acquired this offseason. But if you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a lot of people were like, yeah, this team, even though they have a lot of talent, are they really going to you know, be able to – gel together and be able to go deep into the playoffs. Well, they've shown that they already have, and they've won two playoff games already, which is uh, two, two more playoff games than Tampa has won in the last 12 years. They have reached the NFC Championship for the first time since 2002. So this season for the Bucks is already considered a major success. If they win or lose this game, it doesn't really, like, stain uh, – this the success of this season. 
For the Green Bay Packers, this team was the number one seed in the NFC. They were a team that, uh, I believe, no, they were the number two seed in the NFC last season. They went to the NFC Championship. They lost to the San Francisco 49ers. And in the offseason, you heard a lot of chirping from the Packers saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get back into this game. We're going to win this game this time. It is now time for you to back up all that talk from the offseason, and it is now time for Aaron Rodgers to really show the world that, hey, I am that bad man. He has to win that game on Sunday uh, if he wants – if he doesn't want people to look down upon him and say, this guy, he is a postseason choker, and he's a guy that uh, even though he has a Super Bowl, he just can't get it done when it matters the most. Yeah, Isaiah, I think you're spot on with that. And even Casey King will agree with you that Aaron Rodgers underneath the most amount of pressure. I think it's really going to be defining his career this game. And if he gets to the Super Bowl, I guess he doesn't have to win it because he'll be in the same realm as Russell Wilson, who's got to the Super Bowl, won it, and then his second time he got there, he lost. He still would get into the Hall of Fame with that type of you know record. But at the same time, it's just having that two Super Bowl appearances. If he is able to win his second Super Bowl, it's like it almost solidifies him almost as maybe, you know, you can argue a first ballot Hall of Famer. He didn't have all these great legendary weapons that rolled through like some of the quarterbacks that we've seen here today. But he was like that consistency, though he had some, you know, things in the NFC division wasn't that easy for him in general, but he was able to bounce back and get back. And the strange thing it is, it's been 10 years since he's been in the last Super Bowl. So it's definitely a milestone for him if he gets back and wins it. And that does it beg the question, can he get a third? And is that third going to be another 10 years? Or can he close that gap and win it probably in the next three years after this? Because they already have brought in a backup quarterback to replace him in this like last year's draft. So it's really his game to lose because if he didn't win it, or didn't make it to the playoffs, he would have been replaced. He would have gone to a different team. But now he's in the NFC Championship game. If he wins it and he goes on to the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl, I think the Packers made a big mistake in drafting a backup quarterback. I understand it's the whole purpose of it was to just find a young guy to train up underneath Aaron Rodgers. But you could have got some, you know, either linemen protect Aaron Rodgers or get him another offensive weapon to make this path a little bit more easier for him. But I see you have a question, Isaiah, so I'll let you go and ask it. Speaking of Jordan Love, I'm glad that you mentioned his name, Trevor. If the Packers lose, I guarantee you, if they lose this game, you're going to have a lot of people, you know, bringing Jordan Love into the conversation and being like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, yes, he's a great quarterback in the regular season. He's great when it comes to the wild card rounds and the division rounds of the playoffs. But he can't get over that hump. Yes, I know, like, some, like he's ran into a, a lot of, you know, great teams. He's ran into a lot of, um, you know, great quarterbacks when it comes to the NFC Championship. But is it time for us to switch from Rodgers to Love uh, to, you know, get 
get a new quarterback into the, the mix so that new quarterback, maybe he can get us over that hump. That's what people are going to start bringing up if Aaron Rodgers can't get it done. So if Aaron Rodgers, for his legacy's sake, if he wants to, you know, retain his job, if he wants to, you know, stave off that conversation, he needs to get it done on Sunday against Tom Brady. There's just no more excuses. You are at home this time. Uh, you are playing a team that I know the Buccaneers have all their weapons with Godwin, Evans, Gronkowski, and Brady, but they do have question marks on defense. They're going to be without Antonio Brown, which we will talk about later on in the show. But... Aaron Rodgers has a lot of things going for him this time. He's not on the road anymore. You have no excuses. It is put up or shut up time now for Aaron Rodgers. He has to get it done on Sunday. Yep, I completely agree with you, Isaiah. It's his time is ticking, and we don't know what he's going to do. And he's going to be a bad man to be another number 12 out there. And it almost like helps his you know Hall of Fame resume. I know Casey King has gave us a really good comment. If Aaron Rodgers lose, it may not happen next year. But after next year, I could see the Packers going with Aaron Rodgers like they did Brett, with what they did with Brett Favre. And that is very true. It's just like you bring in that transition and let the contract expire with Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers just finds another team. But the question is, if that happens, like where does Aaron Rodgers go? And, you know, it's really hard to say, like Aaron Rodgers definitely has the capability of making a team look really nice. And if they decide to let his contract expire and a team that is struggling saying, Ooh, could we do something like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and just load up our team and just try to do a Super Bowl push? You could see that happen. I don't know what team is going to make that move in the salary cap space. But I feel like the Houston Texans, you know, getting rid of a lot of their star players, you could see them try to, you know, let the salary cap die back down, get rid of Deshaun Watson, and just bring tons of players in to do a Super Bowl push. Because, like, really at that point, that division, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tennessee Titans, the Colts, have, like, really – there's really no quarterback really just running that division. It's basically open field. And you bring in a veteran like Aaron Rodgers, it, it's like almost like Philip Rivers, but Aaron Rodgers is a lot better, more consistent. Won't throw a pick every game like Philip Rivers does, but hey, it depends what the team is trying to go after. I think if they're trying to get a Super Bowl, I think building a super team is a way to go, but the NFL is really hard to do because we've seen what super teams have become in their first year. They don't do well. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles dream team. Everyone said that was a Super Bowl team. No, they went A and A. It was a bust. Then you have the Super Cleveland Browns team when that got together. It was a bust. They had a terrible season, but now they got. Now they're back. They got. They were so close to the AFC Championship game, but normally in their first year of a, of a super team being formed, it does not go well. So we have to see, you know, as how this offseason goes and how this game's going goes in general. Any more final, I guess, topics? Not topics. More comments on this segment before we move on to our next segment in the NFL segment. Um, yeah, my final like thoughts for this segment is that I completely agree with SoCal Sports Chronicle. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' biggest game of his career. I know he's played it in the Super Bowl. Um, I know he's played in a lot of big games throughout his career. 
But, you know, like we mentioned earlier, that he is one in three in the NFC Championship. You know, a lot of people don't bring up that record, but I'm going to bring it up right now. He's one in three in the NFC Championship. Um, he's continuously choked in the playoffs uh, the last 10 years. It is time to put up a shut up for him. It is time that, you know, he wins this game and he gets the Packers over that hump. So I totally agree with SoCal Sports Chronicle. I think that even though he played in a lot of big games in his career. I think that this is truly his biggest game of his entire career. Yep. And staying with this game, we'll look at the next segment is that Antonio Brown is out for this game for the NFC championship matchup. For me personally, I don't think this is a big loss because he wasn't really putting up a lot of numbers in the postseason anyway. And the, and before they even signed him, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were actually a decent squad before he even joined. So it's just like, you lose a superstar, but the team is still well. It'd be different if they lost, like, Mike Evans as well. Then it was just, like, Tom Brady and Leonard Fournette just in the backfield. So it's sort of like they become one-dimensional. They're really not one-dimensional. They still have Gronk, but Gronk is there to block. But Tom Brady still does use them every now and then. So don't count Gronk out in this. So for me personally, I don't think – you know, Tampa Bay is really in that much of a trouble since they still have a lot more other weapons to go through. It'd just be different if they lost more star players and just make it a lot harder for Tom Brady. But I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be fine in this game. Trevor, I got to disagree with you. I think that this is a bigger loss than everybody is talking about. I think that um, Antonio Brown, yes, I know they have Mike Evans. I know they have Chris Godwin. I know they've got Gronkowski. They also have uh, Tyler Johnson and uh, Scotty Miller. But the reason why I think that this is a bigger loss than everybody is estimating right now is because the fact that Antonio Brown gives you another major weapon uh, in the passing game. He also is a great blocker. Uh, for your running game as well. Um, I know the Buccaneers haven't really used him that much this season, but still him being on the field poses a threat to that Packers defense. You know, it allows Chris Godwin, allows Mike Evans to get those one-on-one -on -one coverages that they might not get without Antonio Brown on the field. With Antonio Brown on the field, you know, it frees up Mike Evans. It frees up Chris Godwin, and it gives Brady, you know, another weapon to throw to. So I think that this is like a bigger loss than a lot of people are, um, you know, talking about. Like a lot of people are are stating right now, um, but do I think that this is like you know a do or die? Uh, or Antonio Brown being out like is it means that the Buccaneers are done? No, but I just think that Antonio Brown being out really hurts Evans and it hurts Godwin and the Packers. You know they just got they got lucky. They got lucky because imagine having to have to somehow subway cover that three-headed monster with Brown, with Evans, with Godwin, not to mention Gronkowski, and then not to mention the running game. So it's just one less guy for the Packers to worry about. The Packers got lucky in this situation, and I, I, I still think that Antonio Brown, I hope he comes back if the Buccaneers make the Super Bowl because they will definitely need him against the Kansas City Chiefs, but we'll see what happens against the Packers. I'm going to actually counter that argument that Antonio Brown is very important. The best team to say that to is the Cleveland Browns. They lost OBJ, and they just only had Jarvis Landry. They lost Nick Chubb. 
and they were down to Kareem Hunt. And look at that team. They springboarded back, and they got themselves in a wild card game. They beat the Steelers twice in back-to-back weeks. They got to the AFC – no, the, the uh, divisional round against the Chiefs, though they fell short. It just goes to show that having a hot target of a wide receiver and you lose them, your quarterback still got to put up numbers. And Baker Mayfield ended up putting up numbers through the rest of the season with the help of the running backs. And when Nick Chubb came back, the missing of OBJ was non-existent. They were basically, they never really needed OBJ. And it's just like Antonio Brown. It's like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't really need him. It's nice to have, and it's like nice eye candy, but they just never put up any results with the time that they were on the field. And I understand Tom Brady doesn't really go to Antonio Brown as a lot because there's just so many more weapons that he could go to. Like you said, Isaiah, the presence is very important, but it's not that he's making huge impacts in the game where it's like if he's not there, it's like, well, Tom Brady's not going to have a phenomenal game with like 250 passing yards or 200 passing yards since Antonio Brown's like there. He's still going to put up respectable numbers against Aaron Rodgers, and he has to because if he doesn't put up respectable numbers, it's going to be a long night for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Trevor, to counter your point, though, um, Antonio Brown gives the Buccaneers that, you know, that guy that can go deep. I know Godwin can go deep, but it he with him going deep and with him taking the coverage deep, it allows, you know, Evans to go across the middle and get single coverage, which, which he could easily beat. And also it allows, you know, Chris Godwin to also go deep and get that one-on-one coverage, which Brady can then throw the ball up and then Godwin can go and get it. Um, so that's why, like, I think it's a bigger loss for the Buccaneers than everybody is estimating. Valid point. Let's move on to the other NFL game that's going to be happening this weekend with the Bills and Chiefs. You know how my stance is against the Bills this week. They're going to lose the AFC championship game because my hot take shall prevail. The only thing that I have left, everything else has been washed out this year. The Browns were close with Baker Mayfield getting playoff MVP if he, if he was going to beat you know, the Kansas City Chiefs. And if he was going to take down the Bills, he'd be going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, I could hop on the Browns bandwagon saying the Browns could win the Super Bowl, but they'd probably be facing, you know, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. It'd be really hard, but it'd be fun to watch. But as that going said, who's going to have the bigger game? For this to be very important, if the Bills are going to win, Josh Allen has to have the bigger game. But if he does not have the biggest game, he will lose to Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes will walk to his second Super Bowl and going back-to-back on people. So I think what it boils down to, if the Bills want to win this game, Josh Allen has to have a big game. Easy easy said than done. Trevor, the question is, who will have the bigger game between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen? And I, I completely agree with all the points that you just made. But... Let me shock you, Trevor. I'm going to go with Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen has a bigger game than Patrick Mahomes. And the reason being is, yes, I think Josh Allen 
has a bigger game than Patrick Mahomes in this game because look at the Kansas City defense. I don't trust them. I've never believed and bought in to that Chiefs defense ever since last season. I've never been a big believer in that Kansas City defense. I know the Kansas City defense, you know, they they can do some good things once in a while, but they haven't shown they can play stout defense for a long period of time. Josh Allen, I think, will be able to carve up that Kansas City defense who is weak in the secondary. You look at what Baker Mayfield did last week. Baker Mayfield was having his way with that uh, Kansas City secondary. The reason why the Chiefs, or the Browns, I mean, lost that football game was their inability to stop Patrick Mahomes uh, when they were on defense, and also the Browns forgot their bread and butter, and that is the running game, and the Chiefs are one of the worst defensive teams when it comes to stopping the run. So you couple like that, that with the Chiefs' inability to stop the pass, it's going to be a long day for that defense. I think Josh Allen, I think Stephon Diggs has a big day. I think Gabriel Davis has a big day. I think John Brown will have a big day. I just do not trust that Chiefs secondary, and you're right, Trevor. Josh Allen has got to have a monster game for the Bills to somehow pull this uh, pull this game off, and I think the like Josh Allen, his ability to hurt the Chiefs with his arm and his ability to make plays with his legs, I think that is what is going to end up. Um, you know, I don't want to spoil my pick, but I think that it, that's what is and going to end up giving uh, the Buffalo Bills the victory and giving Josh Allen a huge day because that Kansas City defense is weak. Yeah, I agree that the Kansas City Chiefs Kansas City Chiefs defense is weak, but the thing is, if Patrick Mahomes is the last person with the ball and he's only done by, down by a touchdown or down by 3 points, he will march down this field and tie the game or win the game. So you have to keep that in mind. So like this defense may be like Swiss cheese, like the Packers and getting up and down that field, but it's just the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, just knows how to execute, knows how to manage the game clock to make sure he is the one with the ball at the tail end of the game. I don't know what Josh Allen's going to do. Like I said earlier, and when he first got to the playoffs, very immature, very young in his career. Mistakes will happen. And now he's on the second biggest stage before getting to the Super Bowl. Can he keep it underneath composer against as an experienced quarterback already, I can now say that Patrick Mahomes is an experienced quarterback in this scenario, been to two AFC championships game has won one and has won and lost one, but lost one in overtime. So he knows what he has to do to win an AFC championship game. Josh Allen has not had that experience. So he has to come out ready to ball out to be able to have this opportunity to get the Buffalo bills to a super bowl. Isaiah. But you know, the question is like, in terms of like, it's who has the bigger game. So I think statistically, I think Josh Allen will have the bigger game because I just don't trust that Chiefs defense. By uh, how goal. much, though? By how much? He could have like 10 yards more than Patrick Mahomes. Is that a big game, though? That That is true. But I just think the Bills defense is um, much better than the, Buffalo, or than the Kansas City Chiefs defense. That's why I'm going to go with Josh Allen. Very valid point. I, I'm going to stick with Patrick Mahomes. 
He's coming off a concussion, so he may yeah. not he may not have a fantastic game, but I feel like he needs to go out and prove people that he had, and give people confidence that saying he is fine. This concussion wasn't really anything that really messed him up. That he's back out there, so like he has something to go out and prove in this game versus like Josh Allen, where it's like everything is on his shoulder. Been in the past postseason, like. Remember his first playoff experience this year against the Colts where he had literally carried the team through that entire game. Like a quarterback shouldn't have to do that in the postseason where it's like he, you know, gives the ball off to his running back, hits his wide receiver, and it's like a team effort. No, Josh Allen literally put the team on his back and marched down that field to score a couple touchdowns, and he even ran it in himself. That just goes to show you that when the Bills are in the playoffs, they they just rely on one person. And once you shut down something that's one-dimensional, it's a wrap. Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree with you, Trevor. But I don't know. I just I just have a feeling that Chiefs defense is finally going to break. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've been bending, but not breaking. They bend, but don't break. That's all I got to say. That style of defense. But we know when you play that style of defense, you will eventually – break and you will eventually falter and i think that this will be the game that they will break and they will falter but we'll see we'll see let's move on to our next nfl segment where the philadelphia eagles have hired a new head coach isaiah what is your thoughts on nick (laughs) they brought another nick and they brought a nick Foles to win a super bowl can another nick do the same thing for them is that nick mullins that you're talking about I'm just kidding. They but- would never bring in Nick Mullins. That is awful. Like they have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz. I don't know where they're gonna do with him, but they don't need any more quarterbacks in Philadelphia. I can I can guarantee you that. Yeah, Nick Mullins is nursing an elbow injury, so you know he can coach right now. He can coat up a clipboard with the headphones and stuff. But in in all seriousness, though, I my thoughts on this hire is. I th- at least it's not Josh McDaniels. At least it's not Josh McDaniels because a couple of days before the Eagles made this hire, um, a lot of the reports were pointing towards Josh McDaniels becoming the next head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I immediately thought, oh, no, man, what are the Eagles doing? What are Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman doing? Josh McDaniels is an arrogant jerk. He's a guy that has shown time and time again that he is not a good offensive coach without Tom Brady. Like, I know he did a lot of great things when Tom Brady was there, but without Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels got exposed this past season as the Patriots ranked 24th in all of the NFL in total offense and in yards per game and also in points per game behind teams like the Jets and also the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Giants, three of the um, bottom tier teams in the NFL when it came to offense. So I was like, oh, my God, Philadelphia, really? You're going to hire Josh McDaniels, like a guy that his stock is so low right now. And then I woke up, I think it was on – Wednesday, no, no, it was Thursday morning, Thursday morning, yesterday morning, uh, the news trickled down that the Philadelphia Eagles had hired Nick Sirianni to become their next head coach. And you know what? 
I'll give this guy a chance. I think that this could be a good hire for the Philadelphia Eagles because this guy is a quarterback guru. This guy right now, he's 39 years old. He's a young and bright coach. Uh, he's worked with Phillip Rivers when he was with the San Diego Chargers at that time. Uh, and then he went with uh, Frank Reich to Indianapolis, and they did really good with, you know, first Andrew Locke, you know, he bounced back, had a tremendous season before he retired, and then Jacoby Brissett, and then, you know, this past season with Phillip Rivers. So this guy knows how to coach quarterbacks. This guy knows how to fix quarterbacks, and I think this hire means that Carson Wentz is going to stay in Philadelphia because you don't bring in a guy that is his – reputation is known for fixing quarterbacks if you don't uh believe in Carson Wentz I think Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie they want to get Carson Wentz back on track back to what he was back in 2016 I like this hire by the Philadelphia Eagles because it's not Josh McDaniels yeah well I know some of our viewers are not fans of Josh McDaniels I'm reading some of the comments off the air but you know the NFC East is the NFC least. No matter who you put as head coach, you're still having a terrible year, and you'll probably be under 500 and somehow make the playoffs and somehow make a run for people's money and upset a good team that has, you know, double-digit wins, yet you come in with 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 maybe one year and just pull up the upset and just somehow march through the playoffs and make it look like a piece of cake. So this hire is definitely going to be interesting. And you really have a low bar to win that division because, like, like we've seen this past year, the teams never really crossed over 500 at all this entire season. They've always been underneath sub 500. So it's like, is your expectation really that high? Like, your goal at the end of the day is just to win the NFC East. You don't like, like, if you win the NFC East, you're in the playoffs and you're making, you're fulfilling the contract. So at the end of the day, like, that's all he's got to do just get above 500 you basically in the playoffs in that division end of day at the end of the day. But, you know, with more of the coaching carousel, we go on to the Houston Texans. They are considering to hire Josh McCrown, not Josh McDaniels, Josh McCrown. No, it's, it's not crown because there's no R. <laughs> Don't worry, Trevor. Yeah. I'm not like an announcer like Cal. And if I was like that, I'd be butchering so many names. <laughs> but like Isaiah, I think it's a wrap for the Houston Texans. Can they just pack up this organization and move it to another city? Because this is just like, it's a dumpster fire. Deshaun Watson is on his way out. And all you have left is J.J. Watt. <laughs> so it's like, as a true star, I understand they still have good wide receivers but they're just not like a dual threat. But at the end of the day, the Texans, they need some help. I'm hoping they do well in the draft and get some really key weapons to build up this team to make them somewhat of a contender or get like a good running back. Like they've just been a team that was littered with injuries the past you know few decades, like even last decade in general. I'm just hoping they can make a rebound and become somewhat contenders. They've gotten to the playoffs with Deshaun Watson – but it's just like they need that extra oomph. And this head coach that happened la last year and now he's fired, they destroyed the franchise. And it's hard to say. Like Deshaun Watson has been balling the past couple seasons. 
And just seeing them dismantle this organization in front of his eyes, I feel like if I was him, I would be like saying, I need to get out of there. I need a team that can at least give me a shot, a good shot in the playoffs, a good run for my money. But it's just like figuring that right fit that works for you and the team that would be beneficial. But I just think that, you know, the Texans needed move. They need to leave Houston in some way or another. Don't know what city they will go to, but I guarantee you a city that is dying for some NFL football would be glad to have the Houston Texans at this rate. Trevor, the comments I'm about to make, I just want to say is in no means, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect Josh McCown. Josh McCown had a, you know, pretty good career in the NFL. He had a very long career in the NFL, even though he was a journeyman backup quarterback. But I think the Houston Texans, I agree with you, Trevor. I think the Houston Texans should pack it up, move out of Houston, and go to San Diego. Yes. No, 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 no. Go to a place no. that deserves a football team. No, San Diego doesn't want it. Callum doesn't want to be stuck with watching a, a bad NFL team just sit there. I understand I'm saying the Chargers were bad, but they had some good winning seasons here and there, but just couldn't get it done. I think, you know, the – Houston Texans should go to Portland, Oregon, where they have the Portland Trailblazers. Now you have the, I don't even know. The, it, it doesn't even work because Houston Texans, it's like Texans is like Texas. You have to literally scrap the entire name of the organization and rebrand for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, Kiersey, that's not a bad idea, moving the Texans to Montana, but I can one-up that with Boise, Idaho. Because why not? Boise, Idaho, all the way out there, moving the Texans out to Boise, Idaho, because the American Mountain, I guess, Northwest doesn't have a lot of love in the sports industry. And I guarantee you bringing out a, you know, a new professional NFL team out in that direction is definitely what that part of the United States definitely needs. Just imagine having like what Bismarck, South Dakota, the new Houston Tech, the, the new Texans at that point. But I don't know what you would call that team. It would be like just name a tree, like name it after a tree or something like that. Not like an oak tree, like a sycamore tree or something like that. <laughs> Give it some interest. Well, first of all, Trevor, I love that idea of moving them to Boise, Idaho, because imagine them playing on a on the blue turf with blue uniforms and blue pants. My God, they might be they might go undefeated in the NFL because you would have teams be like, huh? Where where are they? I can't see anybody. Oh wait, he's right in front of me. What is this guy doing? He's camouflaged. But um, in terms of this potential hire, this makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, Josh McCown, he's 41 years old. Josh McCown might might make a great head coach one day but the guy has no experience whatsoever coaching the guy just retired last or this past season uh from playing in the nfl it literally makes no sense um this i guess they're trying to maybe like do what the brooklyn nets did with steve nash and that is like bringing steve nash a guy that can connect with players a guy that is just fresh off of playing um in the league and a guy that you know you just put a couple of great assistant coaches under him, let them call plays and let's, uh, you know, Josh McCown be in charge of the game day management. But 
if I'm Deshaun Watson and if they hire Josh McCown and Deshaun Watson, I think should, you know, pack his bags and move out of Houston and go into a bunker and never answer the Texans' phones because that's why, why a bunker? Why are we sending him, packing him up and tell him you got to stay away from the Houston Texans? Send him to, you know, a nice organization that right. needs a team. Well, the NFL Call 49ers. <laughs> First of all, I would love that, but the NFL should step in and force the force the Houston Texans to trade Deshaun Watson because I mean, Deshaun Watson, he's a phenomenal player and he's in his prime right now and you're just sitting there wasting his prime while making stupid decisions after stupid decisions after stupid decisions. They hired a GM that uh, was in New England that didn't even make personnel decisions. Bill Belichick's the one that made personnel decisions. Nick Casario is the guy that just signed the paperwork, you know, approving those decisions. So they hired him. And now you're going to bring in a guy who doesn't even have any coaching experience whatsoever, uh, just retired from playing football this season. It makes no sense. Go hire Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. This guy deserves a shot. He's a guy that you know has designed the Chiefs' offense with Andy Reid. He's heavily involved in the game planning. He's a guy that Deshaun Watson likes and really, really wants the Houston Texans to hire. Go hire that guy instead of Josh McCown. I know Josh McCown might be a good head coach one day, but Eric Bieniemy is a known commodity. He's a guy that is out there right now. He is one of the top coaching candidates on the market. Go get Eric Bieniemy, uh to be the new head coach of the Houston Texans. Yeah, I'm still, yeah. Sold. I'm still sold of them being moved out to another, another part of the States. And I'm like thinking, what would I name the Houston Texans? You know, bring back the Oilers, you know. I, I miss them, that nice baby blue and just put it in the region of the United States that has oil, and, and it would work. You just put it in the major city or a capital city and just call them the Oilers, and, you know, it would be all right. Like, I don't know if the Oiler fan base that used to be, you know, in, in Houston would be too thrilled about it, but I yeah, think, you know, just, just bring it back. The Houston Oilers or whatever town Oilers, I'm just going to be like that unnamed Oilers at this point. I'm going to be sold on it. I think – a lot of fan, our fans will probably agree on it. And, you know, I should be the owner of this team and see where that takes us. For a couple of things. First of all, Trevor, you would never want me to be an owner of a football team. No, you would fire me day one afterwards. That, yo, because I didn't get you Nick Mullins. I mean, no, first, not my, hey, not no Nick Mullins. But <laughs> imagine what I would do after every, like, loss. I would probably fire head. Fire the head coach after every loss. I mean, you see my videos reacting to the Niners already. I'm like cut players, trade players, uh, fire coaches after losses. So you don't want me being the head coach of – or not the head coach, the owner of an NFL team. But another idea, Trevor, about where, where we should move the Houston Texans – Alaska. How about the Alaskan Oilers? I mean, Alaska is known for oil. Alaska would be great. Plus, Alaska would offer something that a lot of these NFL teams cannot offer you. And that is they would be able to offer you a snow game every single Sunday, even in 
maybe not in September, but in October, it would be freezing cold. It would be snowing. That's home field advantage right there, my man. You know what that – it sounds like Minnesota Vikings oh. without the dome where they went like had – they literally went to the Super Bowl four years in a row because of the weather because no one could play in Minnesota because it was so cold in the playoffs. So if you move this team out all the way to Alaska, just imagine how many home field advantages this team would have. And I think Kiersey Wilson says it the best. It's too cold in Alaska. I should have known I – because I used to live there when I was a kid. Well, that is a fun fact for us tonight on the MI6 Sports Network. That is fantastic to know. So, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, the Alaska would be perfect. A team would have the most Super Bowl wins in history with the cold field advantage, but they would probably lose the Super Bowl so bad because they're not used to the warm weather climate. So, like, that's their only drawback. But as soon as that Super Bowl is moved up to Alaska – they're probably going to make that a dome so the players don't have to deal with the weather and it just defeats the pure advantage of the cold that's up there in Alaska. But, you know, NFL, if you're ever watching this and you ever stumble across of it, please send a team to Alaska and see what happens because, you know, me and Isaiah and maybe other people on the inside, MI6 Sports Network, are kind of curious what that season would look like for a lot of teams traveling up to Alaska because at one point in the year, it's always total darkness. So imagine you're playing a game that the sun never rises and see what, how a player reacts to just being a night in nighttime 24 seven. But you know, we digress, but we got to move on to our next segment tonight. I know it was a fun idea talking about, you know, all of the different potential outcomes for the Houston Texans. But now we have to move on to our pigskin pickums. Only two pigskin pickums because the NFL season is winding down and then we'll all be down to, our final pigskin pickings, which is the Super Bowl pick later on in the, I guess, two weeks from now. But for our pigskin pickings for tonight are just only two games. The first game is Bills and Chiefs. You know me, Isaiah. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. The Buffalo Bills will lose the AFC Championship game. I didn't know to what team who was going to be. But the Kansas City Chiefs will be going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah, your pick. Please tell me that Callan McClurg is not watching this show. I don't think he's watching. I don't know. Thank goodness. But prepare to walk off the set, Trevor, and also everybody that is watching this show. Ladies and gentlemen, Give me the Buffalo Bills to pull off the upset. Like I said when we were talking about Mahomes versus Josh Allen, I do not trust that Kansas City defense. They play a bend-don't-break style of defense, and normally when you play a bend-don't-break style of defense, it is inevitable that that defense will eventually falter and break and i'm predicting that with josh allen with stefan Diggs, with devin singletary with gabriel davis and the rest of the buffalo bills crew on offense this will be the day that that chiefs defense finally breaks and gives up a ton of yards and a ton of points i think josh allen and that kid uh buffalo bills uh offense puts up at least 
40 plus points on that Kansas City defense. Yes, Trevor, I see your reaction. That's how much I do not trust that Kansas City defense. I think it's going to be a shootout because I don't really trust Buffalo's defense at all either, but I trust Buffalo's defense more than I uh, more than the Kansas City defense. Give me the Bills to beat the Chiefs, to stun the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills by a score of 45 to 38. That is way too high. Vegas would probably say something lower. It'd be like, you know, 27 to 17, something in the nice low numbers. Because that's what the playoffs been, you know, projecting recently. Besides, you know, the Saints and all that stuff. Everything else has been really a touchdown difference. Like, look at the Browns and Chiefs game, like, of yesterday at this point, you know. 22 to 17, nothing too high in the 40s. you think it would be a high-scoring game with the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. That wasn't the case. So I don't think this is the same case. I understand Josh Allen can put up the points, but I think I can see them cracking 30, but 30 is the point where the team ends up winning this game. So I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs going, I'm feeling 31 to 24. Is the final score of that game. And then our last hmm? good pick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then our, and for some of our guests, not, not our guests, some of our viewers, Kirstie Wilson is picking the Kansas City Chiefs. And Casey King is going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win as well. But he's going to say it's a, wait, hold up. I picked the Chiefs to win. Again, too, before the season, but I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills in the close upset. Wow. I threw the curveball. I was reading the first part. I'm like saying, ah, he's going to go with the, you know, cheese, but now he's going to go with the upset. I think Casey King is drinking the Isaiah juice. (laughs) I don't know. Our fans had the Isaiah rendition of the Isaiah juice. I don't know. We were selling that on the MI6 sports page. Let us move on to our next <laughs> next pigskin pickups. We have the Buffalo, not the Buffalo Bills. We already talked about them. We have the Buccaneers in the package. You know, Isaiah, you know, I wish I had a Pirates of a Caribbean hat of Jack Sparrow. So I could say, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But sadly, it's not that time. I will rather go with. The Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers trying to solidify his history as being a good elite NFL quarterback and trying to get his second Super Bowl trophy. So I'm going to go with Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers take care of business. It's going to be a slugfest, and it's only going to be a one-point difference in this game. I don't know the score because I don't know how Tom Brady's going to manage this game, and that's the thing I'm very interested in about. I'm not worried about how Aaron Rodgers goes up and down the field because he can do that. It's how the game manager and Tom Brady will dictate this game, will dictate how Aaron Rodgers has to perform. But I think Aaron Rodgers will figure out a mastermind plan to outplay Tom Brady. Like if it's a chess match, I think Aaron Rodgers will find a way to beat the grandmaster in the playoffs at this point in NFL history. Isaiah, your pick. Whew. Well, Trevor, first of all, I think that this game will look a lot like uh, the AFC championship game 
back in 2001, the tuck rule game between the New England Patriots and the then Oakland Raiders, where it was snowing like crazy. Um, it was extremely cold. I think that it's going to look exactly like this game that we have or this picture that we have up here on the screen. But uh, because the weather right now calls for snow, it calls for um 28-degree weather on Sunday at kickoff. So it's going to be a messy game. It's going to be a physical game. And normally for snow games, this is what dictates who wins a snow game is the best defensive team and also the team that can run the football effectively in that game will be able to win because I know you have Aaron Rodgers on one side and Tom Brady on the other, two best, two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But you're not going to be able to pass the ball a whole lot with the snow coming down and the ball being extremely uh, slippery and extremely wet. So you you're not going to be able to pass the ball a whole lot. So the team with a better running game is going to win this game. And Trevor, I've been saying this all week. It's going to come down to how good does the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense play uh, in this game. If they play like the way they did against the Washington football team, Green Bay is going to win. But if they play the way they did against New Orleans where Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting um, – Clamped down on the New Orleans receivers. The defensive line uh, was in Drew Brees' face all day long. They stuffed the run. And then you had the linebackers, Levante David and Devin White, making plays. It's going to be a long day for Green Bay. And, Trevor, I am going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers honestly win this game by – uh, I could see 10 points. I really could see that if their defense is playing how they did on Sunday. It all depends on that defense because Tampa Bay on offense, you know the Packers, their defense are going to be zoned in on trying to stop Mike Evans, Godwin, and those um, receivers in that high-powered passing game of Tampa Bay. The Packers' run defense, they are also one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL. The Rams last week, they carved them up. Uh, other teams carved them up as well. Look what the 49ers did last season. The 49ers with Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert had three rushing touchdowns in the first half alone against the Green Bay Packers. So the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have a pretty good running game with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. I expect them to be able to run the football extremely well in this game. And then when the Buccaneers or when the Packers start stacking the box to try to stop that running game, guess what opens up? The passing game with Tom Brady, Godwin Evans, uh, and Gronkowski and those guys. Give me the Buccaneers to win this game. I'm going to go Tampa Bay by a score of 24 to 17. All right, good picks, good picks. Good picks. Let me read some of our fantastic comments from our fantastic viewers tonight. We have Rich Daniels going with the Packers and Bills in the Super Bowl in Tampa where it never snows. So it will be called the Irony Bowl. Ha-ha, very clever. Ha, good puns for tonight. Kirsty Wilson will go with the Packers, and so her in-depth prediction will be Rodgers Mahomes in the Super Bowl. She likes that. James Gonzalez says, hello. Hello, James. Hope you're doing well. And Casey King says, this is a tough game to pick. I'm going to have to go with Brady and the Bucks, as Brady knows how 
to get it done in the postseason. And Brady knows how to play, how to play in the cold. And another comment with his tough pick is that the game will be decided by 28 to 23. And the reason is because Tom Brady knows how to deal with the cold. I think I can counter this to, that, to the fact that I understand Tom Brady can deal with the cold, but can the rest of Tampa Bay deal with the cold? Because all those wide receivers are used to warm weather, and every Green Bay player has been used to that Green Bay cold in the postseason. I understand they haven't been to this part in the postseason in a while, but Aaron Rodgers knows how to deal with the cold as well, and the Packers organization has been in the cold since December already, and they know how to take care of business. So I think the it depends what the temperature of the game is. If it falls below freezing and we're looking at like the teens or like less than 10 degrees, I don't think it's going to get to that point. But if it does, I think the Packers will be able to pull it out because of that cold because the rest of Tampa Bay is just not used to that extreme cold like that. But I see you have a comment. Isaiah? Um, I'm looking at the weather right now, and it is slated to be 28 degrees and snowing um, during kickoff. Yep, it's going to be one of those bitter games. You're going to see that nice old-fashioned football. It's about the running game, the groot and grind, as some people call it. The good old gridiron, line versus line. You got to run through the trenches. Isaiah. One last thing before we move on to uh, our power five, and that is I just hope that Bruce Arians listens to Tom Brady and, you know, goes with a uh, a running game to start this football game because, you know, Bruce Arians, he's a guy like that loves the no risk it, no biscuit uh, plays. And he's a guy that loves going deep. Just look at last week when you had third and one. Third and one at your own 36-yard line, and you had a 280-pound back in Leonard Fournette in your backfield. But what does Bruce Arians decide to do? Let's go deep and throw a 50-yard bound down the field, which almost gets picked off by the New Orleans Saints defender. Run the football in this game because you know that the passing game, I don't think, will be as effective as it was last week for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Whoever runs the football effectively uh, and runs it well in this game will win this football game. And last comment before we move on to our Power 5. Kirstie Wilson says the wind chill factor will definitely be felt in this game. I I couldn't agree more because I know when I played football – when it gets cold, you don't want to catch the football. The football turns into a rock, and you just say, please don't hit me hard because I am cold. My muscles are not warmed up, and that's how injuries happen. But we have to wait and see on how this game unfolds out. But now let's move on to our Power 5 for tonight. So, Isaiah, we have reached our Power 5 segment. I understand we have crossed an hour and nine minutes on the show, so it's been a fantastic show. And But for tonight's topics, we're looking at winter activities. I know my you know, Power 5 ended up becoming winter sports, but they count as winter activities. But I go to you first, Isaiah. What is your winter activities as we close out our winter season in, you know, for 2021 at this point? All right, so um, 
when we I just want to give a quick disclaimer to our viewers out there when we first uh, you know, decided on doing winter activities. Um, I didn't really know what we were like. I didn't know, um, you know, what what winter activities were. I thought it was like, like you know, pretend like opening Christmas presents or sitting down with the family and watching Home Alone or you know, snowball fights or any of that stuff. That counts as a winter activity, snowball fights. You hope you know that. Winter activities. So that's um, the power five for tonight. Uh, I'm going to give a quick honorable mention before I dive into um, number five all the way to number one. And that is watching Home Alone with my family. You know, we, it's a Christmas tradition in the Leong's house. Every, like, or before Christmas, we would always sit down and watch Home Alone, either one, two, or three. I love the Home Alone movies. It's a Christmas classic. You have to watch Home Alone during Christmas. Uh, that's my honorable mention. Number five on my list will be it's skiing uh i i have never been like the greatest skier in the world but before covid me and my family would used to go to reno lake tahoe um and just go skiing there and just have some fun and you know it was i would love like i love skiing but i was kind of scared of it because i've seen some videos where like skiers ski down that hill and then they suffer some nasty injuries from fall so yeah uh like i love doing it but the reason why it's number five on my list is because i'm not really a big fan of it because you can suffer like you can do it i mean you can if you do anything you can suffer injuries but i just you know I'm kind of scared of it. Uh, number four on my list would be Trevor. This this might make you walk off the set and laugh like crazy. And that is jumping in to the frozen San <laughs> Jumping in to the frozen San Francisco Bay. And I know our audience out there is probably like, what, Isaiah? Have this is you not the polar bear plunge, my friend. First of all, I haven't lost my mind. And secondly, the reason this thing, like this activity came up was because back in, I believe it was 2018, me and my guy, Stephen Wang, our executive producer here on this network, we made a bet. You know, he's a Browns fan. I'm a Niners fan. And we made a bet about who would finish with a better record? The Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers. You know, uh, we we looked at Hugh Jackson because one day Hugh Jackson, I guess, uh, if the Browns went like 0-16, uh, he said that he would jump into Lake Erie. And we saw that and we decided, hey, you know, why don't we copy what Hugh Jackson did? And we, for like the last three years, we've been betting on if the Niners – finish with a better record than the Cleveland Browns. Steven has to go jump into San Francisco Bay during like January or February or December and swim in it for like a couple of minutes. And if uh, the Browns finish with a better record than the Niners, I have to do it. So for the last two out of three years, you know, I've had to do that. Um, I don't know when we're going to go this year. Hopefully don't remind Steven. But if uh, since the Niners or the Browns finished with a better record than the Niners again, I have to do that again. So uh, it's going to be freezing. But, you know, See, what? Well, I remember that because I watched it on the MI6, you know, our group chat that we have offset. And, yeah, I remember those videos where you jumped in and Steven jumped in. 
it, I guess it's a tradition in your rivalry between you two. At it's this pretty point. much, yeah. It is pretty much a tradition now of every year after football season is over. If the Niners finish with a better record, uh, he jumps into the bay. If I, the Browns finish with a better record, I jump into the bay. So every year we look forward to that. It is cold, but hey, you know, sometimes though, Trevor, what I've uh, noticed is before you know, I jump into the rest of my power five is that the water is actually warmer. Like jumping into the water is actually warmer than you're just standing on the sand and filming. Like I remember like, I think it was last year where Steven had to jump in and I was freezing my butt off and he jumped in and he was like, like even though like when you jump in at first, the water is really, really cold, but it starts to warm you up and it's more warmer than when you have to stand on the beach and film. But number three on my list is going to be um, – it's going to be ice skating. You know, I always go to San Francisco during Christmas. They have an ice skating rink in downtown San Francisco. Love doing that ever since I was a little kid. Uh, number two on my list will be sitting down and watching the NFL playoffs because we all know the NFL playoffs uh, is the greatest playoffs in all of sports. It's one game, winner take all. Doesn't matter if you have the best record and you're facing a team with uh, a, a record that's like four games back of yours. That team can still upset you on any given day. Uh, that the NFL playoffs are just so good. That's my number two and number one. It's tubing. I love going tubing in Lake Tahoe. Uh, do it almost every year. It's so much fun. Um, and unfortunately, I couldn't do it this year, but hope to do it again next season, next year once COVID hopefully subsides. Good power five. Good power five. I will read Kirstie Wilson's power five before I go in. And to start it off, she said. Basically, the stuff what I do when I live in Alaska, except for snowboarding. <laughs> but her power five is skiing at number five. Number four, sledding. Number three, snowboarding. Number two, ice skating. And number one, snowball fight. <laughs> and now for my power five. So, you know, my power five ended up becoming sports, like I said earlier. So, Starting at number five is curling. Yes, I have done curling once in my lifetime when I was in Cub Scouts and we did an event out there. And it's not as it feels as complex as it is, but it's not that bad after you understand what you have to do and sliding the stone across the ice and just sweeping it. It's there's a lot of strategy in curling. And I love watching it in the Olympics because there's no refs. So you can't complain that the rust screwed you over. And if they don't have things in agreement, they just redo the, the stone rolls. So it's like it's the best refereeing of all time where it's like the players know the rules. And if it doesn't seem right, they re-roll the stone. Easier said than done. This is why I enjoy curling so much. And that's why it sits on the number five. And I can't leave it out because it's always a fun event to watch. Number four, I always love this at the bottom of my heart is bobsledding, especially when it's a nice, the trial runs before the Olympics and teams are just trying to qualify and you just see the speed that they get off. And you're like saying, do they have enough time to get the sled off and going to top speed quickly? So I enjoy that and see when they say, oh, they had a slow start, but they catch it up in like the last final turns and place in the pole position for getting gold medals. So like, that's what I love about curl, not curling, 
bobsling, the excitement of saying you started off bad, but you can make it up in the speed of the track to end up winning gold in the long run. Or they end up trying to break the track record and then they end up seizing gold. Definitely fun to watch. Number three, the most elegant of them all is ice skating. You love the nice, you know, dances that they do, the Olympics that go with it, and just competing. Like some of the facial expressions on these ice skaters' faces are priceless because they're so tuned into their routine, their their steps, and all the performance they need to do to just achieve the highest score possible to either win that cup, win the world, you know, stage, or just win the Olympics. And then my number two is hockey. You got to love some hockey. It feels like I understand it's more of a Canadian sport or of a Russian sport, but it's just the northern countries of the world. They're just the kings of hockey, kings and queens, because there's women hockey as well. And the Canadian women's team is phenomenal. I've seen a couple of those matches on during um, the Olympics, and they face the U.S. women. But it's just fantastic to watch. There's a lot of Cinderella, not, I shouldn't say Cinderella stories, but a lot of stories that build up in hockey. And when the underdog makes a nice run in the, you know, anything that's big, especially in the Olympics, it's fun to watch or like a World Cup event type of hockey matchup. Gotta love those. But the one thing that sits at the king of the crop, the thing that defines winter sports is skiing. So many skiing events. You can ski on your leisure. You have terrain parks. So if you're one of those skiers who love doing tricks and grinding on rails and just taking a tr ski trip with family and friends is prices because you got the nice lodge, you got the hot cocoa. It's just a wonderful experience. And that's how I will cap out my Power 5. Let me try to capture the final Power 5 via Casey Kings. He says his is ice skating watching movies, playing golf, watching NFL playoffs, and watching hockey games too. And some other comments is, yes, Isaiah, going into the lake, and not the lake, the river, I guess in the Bay Area, in the Bay, during that time. I've done a, a polar bear plunge in the morning for Boy Scouts in the summer, but nothing in the cold because, you know, your lips will turn blue in Pennsylvania. I'll just leave it at that. I'm Trevor. First of all, I'm just glad that I live in the Bay and I don't have to do this in the East Coast because imagine. Oh no, you'd be done in the East Coast. Imagine if I have to swim in Lake Michigan or Lake Erie during this time. Forget you would find me frozen in ice, either in Lake Michigan or in Lake Erie. That's how cold it is. Yeah, and then James Gonzalez says he loves watching curling. Kiersey Wilson says, it seems like a fun sport. It's definitely a fun sport after you understand, like, how to slide the stone and the technique that you need to do for it. But after you learn how to do it, it's a fun sport to, you know, at least try out at least once in your life if you have the opportunity. And hockey is fun. But I think that will do it for us on our Power 5 segment. Wait, as oh, a game break with the Cavs and Nuts and Nets game with Colin Sexton with 25 points. And the score is... 125 to 113. This is going to be very interesting on how it concludes. What? 30 now? 30 points? The Brooklyn Nets, since Irving returned, and with that big three of Irving, Harden, and Durant, are now 0-2. Not, yeah, 0-2 with that big three, and they just got swept by the lowly Cleveland Cavaliers. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. 
But I think that's perfect segment for us to move on to our final thought. Isaiah, as we approach 90 minutes on our lovely No BS Friday, what are your final thoughts? And I don't know, I don't know anything else that you would like to add to our, you know, show tonight as we, you know, get things situated. Yeah, actually, before I go into my final thoughts, um, I just want to thank Christy Wilson, James Gonzalez, Casey King, uh, Richard Daniels, as well as, um, let me see, SoCal Sports Chronicle, Pinguino and Friends, and that's it for tuning into our show tonight. Really appreciate you guys for tuning in every single night. Thank you guys so much. Um, Trevor, my final thoughts is I am looking forward to this weekend. It's going to be such a fun conference championship Sunday with the Bucks and the Packers and then the Bills and the Chiefs to top it all off at night. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, we're going to – I don't know if we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna pick the Super Bowl next week. I, I don't think so because yeah, it would be it would normally be the play, um, the Pro Bowl and then it would be yeah, the Super Bowl. So I don't know how they're doing the Pro Bowl and I mean I know it's probably gonna be done via Madden, but yeah. I, I I don't know if people are gonna watch an AI do a game. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think we're gonna be picking the Pro Bowl next week, but we'll probably pick it or not the Pro Bowl, the Super Bowl the following week. But hopefully, um, I'm rooting for Tampa because I put all my uh, money on Tampa. I also, um, you know, Tampa was my pick to win the Super Bowl prior to the playoffs starting. So hopefully, Tampa can win it. Uh, but Trevor it was a great show tonight. Uh, once again, condolences to Hank Aaron and or to Hank Aaron's family. Uh, rest in peace to that that man. What a great career. What a great life that he lived on this earth. And also uh, my final thought, final, final thought for tonight is make sure you guys go check out the MI6 Sports Network website tomorrow because I will have a new article coming out on why Colin Sexton is the most underappreciated player in the NBA. Oh, boy. Did you ever finish the Ohio State article you told us about? I'm balancing the both of them. I have like Sexton one, and then I have the Ohio State one, and I also have a Brock Purdy one. So I got like three of them just like balancing out. All right. Before I get to my final thoughts, I'll read James Gonzalez's final thoughts. You know, he's sad about the death of Aaron, but also today is the anniversary of Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points versus the Toronto Raptors. So it's been 15 years since that happened. So it's been that record's been still, you know, standing in LA and hope it stays, you know, standing for the remaining years. It'll be interesting when a player gets close to that point, would they purposely miss that shot so that record can stand still and never be touched? Or would Kobe Bryant tell you to go and break that record? And that's what Kobe will want to happen. But we'll, when that day happens, we'll see what players will do when they get close to that 80 points a game. I don't think we're ever going to see a player, you know, reach that 80 points or score 100 points in a game, but it's definitely going to be interesting when our Laker gets close to that 81 points. And Casey Wilson says, rest in peace to Mr. Hank Aaron, and he was a legend. But going on to my final thoughts, it's been a fantastic show. I know we have five minutes left before we reach the 90-minute mark, but I know – Without Cal, the show is not the same. I know Furman was feeling a little bit under the weather, so he couldn't be on the show. 
wishing him a speedy recovery so he can be back on next week. And, you know, as we wind down on this lovely Friday night, it's been a ride on, you know, season three of No BS. I never thought that No BS would reach a season three. I thought we'd be still on season two. But, you know, new year, new sporting, I guess, season, something fresh out the gate. And just can't wait to see what season three brings us here tonight. And Isaiah, it seems that you have one more announcement before I run off the shows that are going to be happening next week. Yeah, um, I just want to announce that starting tonight, uh, after we finish off with this show, go to the MI6 Sports Network's Twitter and also Facebook as we will be revealing the blooper of the year bracket, the eight. We have eight bloopers uh, candidates. We will be putting it out there, and you, the fans, will get to vote um, on the 1-8 matchup, the, I believe, the 1-8, the 4-5, and then you have the 2-7 and the 3-6 on which uh, – and you guys will be able to narrow it down, and then it will get to the final the final, um, the final, final poll between whoever it is that makes it – uh, to ter- determine who is the blooper of this year. So uh, go on the MI6 Sports Network Twitter and check that out after you're, we are done with this show. Yep, and just for reminding some of our sports programs, I know we have a, our sports program image, but that's a little bit outdated, so we're in the works of revamping it. But I can, I know this you know, list by heart at this point because I've been on the network for so long. So on Mondays we have... Wild Sports Talk at 7.30 Pacific Time. No shows Tuesday, so, you know, you can catch up on other sports news on ESPN, Fox, NFL, um, I guess, NFL Network, and other sporting news. And then you're back at it again with Wild Sports Talk on Wednesday at 7.30 Pacific Time. And then we have that one dude with John Alcorn on Thursdays, you know, bringing his show. It's fantastic. He has great takes. Love him so much and respect him and all his takes that he brings onto the show. Then you have Friday, no BS back here at 6.30 Pacific time. Great show. We have a lot of loony takes and excitement. Then we transition to Saturday where we have fan response and the night shift at 10 p.m. Pacific time. I don't know when fan response is going to happen. Maybe it's more in the day around 3 p.m. Pacific time or noon Pacific time, see how they end up figuring out that time schedule. But the night shift is always at 10 p.m. Pacific time. And then on Sundays, the cap off everything at 10 p.m. Pacific time, you have the night shift. And Isaiah, do you have anything else? Oh, there is no fan response tomorrow. I gotcha. Thank you for reminding me, Isaiah. Thank you for clearing that up. Also, one more announcement before we uh, sign off for the night. Uh, There will be a new baseball podcast that we will be starting uh, in February. So make sure you guys, um, you know, stay on the lookout for that. Uh, It will be me and a couple of other guys doing a baseball-themed podcast here on the MI6 Sports Network every Tuesday to fill in that Tuesday slot that we have open right now. And that will do it for us on the MI6 Sports Network, everybody. Take care and stay safe. Yeah. Three C's, my fiat. Yeah. Whoa, hey, yeah. whoa. Say what? Hey. Whoa. Three C's, my fiat. Yeah. Hey. It's going down. Whoa. Hey. Y'all know what time it is. Hey.
culture, in the club, in the street.